guys this morning. Thanks for bringing the church into this building. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Jamie, one of the pastor elders of our church, the guy who most Sundays gets to open up God's word and preach it. I'm excited to, to dive in this morning. I actually got here about 15 minutes later than usual because I got caught up in the wonder of my own sermon notes as I was sitting with this passage. So um, I trust that's a good thing. Um, tardiness for other reasons, maybe not. But um, for those of you who uh, may be just onboarding, this morning brings us to the final stop uh, on our journey through the book of Luke, a journey that began coinciding with the start of the Advent season of 2020. We've been at it for quite some time. It's been a crazy journey, whether you've been along for the entire ride or have onboarded at some point along the way. The book of Luke being the first in a two-volume set, as many of you know, the prequel to the book of Acts. Call it the prequel because we jumped into the book of Acts first as a church, and then we decided to do Luke in the aftermath. This book of the Bible, without which we wouldn't have the story of the wee little man Zacchaeus, nor the parables of the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son, not to mention the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, unique to Luke's gospel account, telling us how and teaching us how to study the Old Testament and see Jesus in it. Luke's gospel account declaring the hope of a God, going back to the very first week of this series, whose zealous ambition is to seek and save the lost. God overcome with love, famous in Luke's gospel account for those on the fringes of society. As Luke tells the story of a messianic king having come to rescue the poor, the downcast. It's that great story with which we've been privileged to, to sit in this most recent season of life and ministry. With its joys and its sorrows and everything in between. And it's that great story to which we come to the end as we sit with the closing words of the closing chapter this morning. And so with that said, I invite you to open up your Bible to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be in the final four verses this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one uh, in front of uh, one of the seats in front of you underneath. Uh, you should be able to find a Bible nearby in that regard. Uh, this morning's passage will also be up on the screen behind me as we work our way through it. Let me go ahead and Pray for us as we prepare to sit with God's word in front of us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great book of the Bible and the great privilege of having been able to sit with it for the better part of roughly a year and a half. Slow down to walk through the mystery and wonder of the miracle of the incarnation. God the Son taking on flesh, entering into our world to see the life and ministry of Jesus, the authority and power of the divine yet fully human, living a life of perfect obedience that he would carry to a splintered wooden cross on our behalf, to see his death under the darkened skies of Jerusalem, the temple, uh, the temple curtain torn from top to bottom. To see the, the amazement, the bewilderment, the wonder, and ultimately and eventually the joy on the faces of his earliest disciples to find the tomb empty three days later. And Lord, now as we sit with Jesus' ascension in front of us, Spirit of God, I pray that you would awaken our minds and hearts 
to the wonder of what is before us, that it wouldn't be lost on us. Our song was loud just now. I pray that as a result of our time in the scriptures, those last few songs would be even louder. And that more than that, our song would be loud as we leave this building this morning. Our lips, our lives lived in glory to you. Lord, help us to see what you mean for us to see before us this morning, in and through your word. Help us to see something of the glory of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So as you can see this morning, uh, the passage is really quite brief. Some might even ask the question as to why we didn't finish this thing up last week. Is there really enough to preach a sermon out of these last four verses? For some, these words are reading more like a postscript. And oh, by the way, uh, added note coming on the heels of Jesus' glorious promise, verse 49, to send the Holy Spirit to clothe his disciples with power from on high. Be a great place to end the story right there. And yet, these last few brief verses bring us face to face with one of the lesser appreciated yet wondrously glorious truths and aspects of Jesus' saving work, namely his ascension, the triumphal entry of the risen king into heaven, the post-resurrection coronation of heaven's king taken up in glory, seated above all rule and authority and power and dominion, These last few brief verses of Luke's gospel account, they're no postscript, but rather the the penning of one of the most glorious moments in all of redemptive history. Right up there with the cross of Jesus Christ, the atonement, the empty tomb, his resurrection, his second coming, which we await. If you pick up the, the story in verse 50, Luke tells us, and he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Luke tells us elsewhere, book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus made post-resurrection appearances for roughly 40 days, presenting himself alive by many proofs, speaking about the kingdom of God. Here, choosing, for whatever reason in the mind of God, to fast forward the story to the end of that 40-day period as Jesus leads his disciples out as far as Bethany to the Mount of Olives, where Luke tells us that Jesus pronounces a benediction a priestly word of blessing over them. Right before, mind you, taking his rightful place at the Father's right hand, the place from which he mediates God's blessing to us. And Luke goes on. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. The ascension motif, it's not unique to the New Testament. The book of Exodus presents us with the many episodes of Uh, Moses ascending Mount Sinai into the presence of the Lord. Two, there's the taking of Elijah at the end of his ministry. Second Kings chapter two, carried up to heaven by a whirlwind and into the presence of God. Not to mention the the many kingship psalms which speak of the ascent uh, to royalty and coronation of God's promised king. Perhaps the most famous being Psalm 110, cited as part of Jesus' own teaching right here in the book of Luke, if you go back to chapter 20. Here we're told that Jesus parts from his disciples, that, that language of parting indicating something more pronounced, something more decisive, 
distinguishing this moment from the many resurrection appearances where Jesus would show up and then disappear. A parting of ways, a a pivotal moment in redemptive history, never to be repeated, carried up into heaven. If I could just remind us, and you know this, Luke's gospel account, it began with the dissension of Jesus, the Son of God entering the slums of our world in lowliness and humility, born amidst the feeding troughs of Bethlehem, surrounded by a supporting cast of smelly barnyard animals. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on the book of Luke, says, It was clearly a leap down, as if the Son of God rose from his splendor, stood poised at the rim of the universe, irradiating light, and dove headlong, speeding through the stars, over the Milky Way to Earth's galaxy, finally past Arcturus, where he plunged into a huddle of animals. Nothing could be lower, he says. That Luke's gospel account begins with the lowest leap down. It highlights the glory of the ascension at the conclusion of his writing all the more. The one having descended, now ascending. The Shekinah glory cloud, which we see throughout scripture, taking Jesus out of their sight. Acts chapter 1 verse 9 tells us. As the apostle Paul would go on to declare to young Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Ascending to royalty in his coronation as God's promised risen messianic king. After which... Following the ascension, Jesus is described in the scriptures as having an unbearably radiant glory. Something changes. You see it in Paul's life-changing experience on the Damascus Road, as well as John's glorious vision of Jesus in the book of Revelation. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, declaring that Jesus himself is the Shekinah glory of God. The visible revelation of God's splendor and majesty. Here in this morning's passage, taken up in glory that he might take his exalted place at the Father's right hand. This pivotal moment in redemptive history, it commands our attention. It doesn't get enough of it, but it should. The significance of the moment, rich with redemptive truths and promises of cosmic scope. For one, if I could just take us through a crash course. For one, it shows us something of the Father's satisfaction in the Son. The passive language of Jesus carried up into heaven, a seal of approval. The Father receiving his beloved Son with whom he is well pleased. A visible yes and amen to all that Jesus has accomplished. Second, it brings before us the it is finished of the gospel. As we know that upon ascending, Jesus would take his rightful seat in glory. What theologians call his session. You see it in passages like Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. After making purification for sins, the author of Hebrews says, He, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Or as the author of Hebrews would later go on to say in chapter 10, 
And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We talked about this in our study of the book of Hebrews a few years back. There were no chairs in the temple of God because the priest's work was never done. There's always another sacrifice to be made. The blood of more bulls and goats to be shed. Having ascended, Jesus sat down at the Father's right hand, a glorious and dramatic, visible demonstration of what he had proclaimed from the cross. We saw it just a few chapters ago. It is finished. It's a glorious truth and promise affirmed too in the imagery of the temple curtain torn. Imagery that too finds its place in the ascension of Jesus. The author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 9 verses 11 and 12, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. That's ascension language. Not by means of the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. In other words, not only was the curtain of the temple torn from top to bottom when Jesus died under those darkened skies of Jerusalem, but to the ascension declaring that Jesus entered through the true and greater curtain into the holy of holies of heaven itself. That imagery too with its own glorious shouts of it is finished. Third, just getting started. If I could stay with the priestly imagery for just a second, the ascension brings before us the hope of Christ, our intercessor and advocate. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Here's the ascension language. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, is present tense verb. Or how about Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 25? The former priests were many in number because they were prevented from death by continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Alive, risen, ascended. And then there's 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, ascended to his right hand, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus ascended to heaven that he might live to make intercession for you and me, that we might have an advocate with the Father. So when we have any hope of singing songs like these, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, the ascended king, no tongue can bid me thence depart. 
that Jesus Christ is the ascended high priest of heaven through whom we have access to an intercessor, to an advocate. Fourth, the ascension gives us access to God's throne of grace from which mercy and grace flow freely in time of need. The author of Hebrews was all up on this ascension stuff. Chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. There's your ascension language. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then... With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ, the high priest of heaven, not only our intercessor and advocate, but through whom we have access to the mercy and grace we need as we navigate the difficulties of the journey before us, onward marching to the celestial city of God. Fifth, The ascension not only brings before us the redemptive truths and promises of Jesus, our high priest, but he's also our exalted king, ruling and reigning, seated above all rule and authority and power and dominion, king of kings, lord of lords. Which is why we have this kind of language, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter says, who has gone into heaven, there it is, the ascension, and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Or as the Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 18, that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, there it is, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Not just our great high priest, but the high king of heaven, the ruler of all things. Which brings me to redemptive promise and truth number six. Two, in accordance with Jesus' authority as the risen and ascended king, namely the promise of the sending of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God with us and the power of God through us. This is good news. John chapter 16 verse 7. where Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, that I ascend, that I depart. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Or as he says in Chapter 15 of that same book of the Bible, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, having ascended the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit. The presence of God with us, the power of God through us, sent by the risen and ascended Son of God. 
Seventh, with the ascension of Jesus comes not only the authority to send the Spirit, but two, to give gifts for both the equipping and the safeguarding of the church. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, Jesus is giving gifts here in Ephesians 4. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And then you get a parenthesis. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now he connects the dots back to verse 7, the giving of gifts, having spoken about the ascension of Jesus. And he says this, And he gave, the ascended Jesus did, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If we have any hope of being equipped for the work of ministry, if you have any hope of being built up, Attaining the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. If you have any hope of attaining to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, behold the ascended Jesus. As the risen and ascended King, Jesus gifts the church with all that she needs. That she might be equipped for the work of ministry. That she might attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Whatever that means. Eighth, the ascension of Jesus gives us assurance that we will have a forever home with him. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Very famous words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go, there's the ascension. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That as the risen and ascended king, Jesus prepares a place for his beloved. The assurance that we will have a glorious, eternal, happy home with him someday. Ninth. It's not enough that Jesus prepare a place for us. We need to be able to enter it. Ninth, the ascension of Jesus offers us the promise, not only that a home shall be prepared for us, but too that we shall someday enter into that eternal home that's being prepared. Again, back to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. The author of Hebrews says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That not only has Jesus gone to prepare a place for us, but it's a place that we can enter and that we will enter who are united to Christ by faith. As we will surely follow him, the author of Hebrews says, our forerunner, into the everlasting presence of God. 
10th. The ascension assures us that something of that blessing is ours even now by virtue of our intimate union with Jesus. Baffling passage of scripture. Wonder of wonders. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up, Paul says, with him. There's your ascension language. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. None of us are, of course, physically present right now with Jesus in the heavenly places. And yet there is a sense in which we are reigning with him, Paul says, even as we struggle and suffer our way through this present life. Unbreakable union with Christ affording us access to the heavenly power and authority of Jesus right now. Setting the stage for his return to shower us with the immeasurable riches of his grace, kindness. I don't have six things for us to go out and do in light of our time in the scriptures this morning. All I have to say is behold the beauty and glory of the ascension of Jesus Christ. These four verses, they are no postscript. This is one of the greatest and most pivotal moments in redemptive history, rich with wondrous truths and promises of cosmic scope. Right When we talk about preaching the gospel to yourself, we're we're at times talking about past tense glories and truths that are rooted in the life of Christ. You have to run on the treadmill and try to be perfect. He was perfect on our behalf, his life. The glory of the good news of the gospel there. His death died in our place on our behalf. Our substitute. Dealing with our guilt, with our shame. At times we we preach the crucifixion of Jesus to our own hearts and to the hearts of each other. At times we preach the resurrection of Jesus. Declaring that there's resurrection power. That God is mighty to move and work in the hearts of his people. That there is power to overcome sin. There is power to to see the the church advance and the kingdom spread. At times we preach the second coming of Jesus. This world won't always be as sad as it is this day. The bodies won't always be broken, sick. The death won't always be part of the fabric of our experience and reality. And there are times that we preach the ascension of Jesus Christ. That we have an intercessor, an advocate right now. That we have the one who has sent the Holy Spirit and who gives gifts to the church. That we might be equipped for the work of ministry. That the church might be safeguarded. So many other things representing this list of ten truths. And I think I missed some. Is it any wonder... That Luke would close out his gospel account with these words. Verses 52 and 53. And they worshipped him. 
and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. That what was once great sorrow at the thought of Jesus' departure is now expressed as great joy overflowing in continual glad-hearted worship. Luke's gospel account began with worship in the temple. It ends with much of the same. Setting the stage for the sequel, the book of Acts, the earliest chapters of which tell of the apostles proclaiming the good news of Jesus day after day in the temple courts. Joyful worship giving way to zealous evangelism. Coming back to the very first words of this incredible book of the Bible. Luke begins with these words, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why? That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke composed this writing that the reader might have certainty. In the words of one commentator, Luke's gospel account, it's the gospel of knowing for sure. Luke writes that we might have assurance regarding the Son of Man who came to seek and save the lost, a certainty of faith, as I've said numerous times throughout this series, that each of us must profess for ourselves. But more than that, Luke writes that we might follow Jesus as our Lord and God, as an outworking of the sure knowledge of who he is. That we might not only see Jesus for who he truly is, the Lord's anointed having come, that we might believe on him, that we might repent of our sins and trust in him, but too, that we might leave our nets, so to speak, and follow him, giving our lives to him in glad submission Lives marked, as we see as a bookend at the end of this great book of the Bible, lives marked by joyful worship and zealous evangelism. As James said, it's not enough to, to know, going back to those first four verses of the book of Luke, it must be expressed. It must be exp expressed through worship, and it must be expressed through evangelizing others and telling them about this good news having seen something of the goodness, glory, and grace in the face of Jesus Christ. So that I would ask, specifically through our study of Luke, but even more broadly speaking, have you seen it? Have you seen him? Like those who stood on the Mount of Olives that day, the invitation this morning is to worship with great joy, the risen and ascended high king of heaven, whether for the first time or the 10,000th time or somewhere in between. And so we're going to do that. In accordance with that C.S. Lewis quote, we're going to complete the joy through the singing of our song, the church collectively, our corporate expression of worship. Also, worship Jesus through the receiving of the Lord's Supper. Again, there is no hopeful ascension if it's not preceded by death and resurrection. 
If you're not a Christian, I encourage you not to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, the bread and the cup, but rather that your next step would be one of repentance of sin and trust in Jesus for forgiveness. If you are a Christian, we take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus and dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. There are communion stations to my left and right. There's a gluten-free station by the water cooler back there. There are cups in that back corner. As you prepare to receive of the elements this morning, surely encourage you to sit with the death of Christ and all that it means for you. But then I encourage you to run three days later to the empty tomb and then to run 40 days later to the ascension of Christ. And you can ultimately keep on running to the second coming too because there's good news all over the place here.